91.3 KBCS Community Radio. I'm Yuko Kodama. At the end of November, I visited Piper's Creek in Seattle's Carkeek Park with naturalist Ed Dominguez to watch the salmon return to the waters of their birth to spawn. This is Piper's Creek, which is a little ravine drainage creek that flows down from some springs up in North Seattle and flows down into Puget Sound here at Carkeek Park. It's a beautiful little ravine creek with clear water, as you can see, sand and gravel on the bottom, perfect for salmon spawning, and lots of vegetation around so the water temperature stays cool throughout the season. Perfect for salmon. Okay, so it's important then that the, the, the water stays cool. Yes, salmon love cool, clear water. Cold water can hold more oxygen than warm water, and salmon love to have the cold, oxygen-rich waters. That's where they thrive. So it's essential that there's a lot of shade along the shoreline of rivers and lakes for salmon spawning to keep the water temperatures cool. And then here we are at this kind of little spot on the, the bank with a, there's like a fallen tree that's going across the creek and a bunch of logs that are kind of jammed up here. And you're right, this is a Pacific willow. I'm standing on the root ball here. It it fell over, either by wind or I'm not sure why, but it fell across the creek. But you can see all the little branches are still growing. There's enough of root connected into the soil that the tree's still alive, and it's just growing laying on its side rather than vertically. So nature fights for survival and oftentimes finds a way. Um, This time of year, we're in November, is the time where two of our salmon come up from the Pacific into the streams of their birth, the chum salmon and the coho salmon. These are amazing creatures. You know, salmon are one of the few creatures, fish, that can stand the chemical shock of breathing salt water and fresh water. These salmon were born in these small streams. They migrated out to sea and spent anywhere from for chum salmon three to five years, hundreds, even thousands of miles out in the Pacific in salt water. And then, for reasons that we don't quite know, some homing instinct signals them that it's time to return to the stream of their birth. So they swim in from that far out into the Pacific, find the stream where they were born. When they get close to it, they use their sense of smell. And you wonder, well, how can they smell? And what are they smelling for? they can actually smell the mineral content, sort of the mineral composition of their specific stream and know that that's the stream they head up the mouth of back up to where they spawn. The spawning for salmon is very moving. You know, it's been going on for tens of thousands of years and it marks the end of their life. They've been out at sea for several years feeding. The fish are carnivorous, so they're eating other fish, getting plump and fat. And then when it's time to head up to do their spawning, they see seeding. Their entire motivation is to get up to the stream of their birth, find a mate, lay eggs, fertilize the eggs with what's called milt, and then protect the salmon eggs until the water and the gravel cover them. And then their life cycle is over and they die. So this is the the last gesture of their lives is to reproduce the next generation. Then as their bodies decay, like we see this chum salmon here on the log, their nutrients break down, go into the water, and actually feed the young salmon when they hatch, which will be generally, oh, several weeks from now, depending on the species. Female and male chum salmon have 
different markings. When the fish are at sea, they're all kind of a silvery color. When they enter freshwater to uh, spawn, they take on different colorations. So the males have red blotches in lines that go up and down. The females have a dark lateral line that's parallel to their back. So the markings are distinctive for male and female. And so even when they're dead, you can see those, those lines. Yes, you can. Now, you notice that the salmon we're looking at that have expired are kind of a zombie-like white. They look kind of gruesome. Um, the salmon, when they enter the fresh water and make their way upstream, start to lose the scales that they had when they were out at sea. And as the scales fall off, literally their skin is exposed. So you'll see salmon that have blotchy white patches on them that looks like their skin is gone. What it is is the scales have actually fallen off as the salmon are nearing the end of their life cycle. And by the time they expire, like we see here, most of the scales are off and they're kind of a very pale, kind of a corpse-like white color. And then the salmon get here and they, you know, they mate, right? How do they find their mate here? Is it just whoever's around because they just got to get this done before they go? Or Yeah, they find a mate. Typically they look for the larger, you know, larger, more robust individuals are the ones that are going to have the strongest DNA to pass on. So they'll find a strong robust partner. Um, many males will compete for the affections of the females. The female digs the nest, which is called a red, with two D's, R-E-D-D. She'll lay on her side and wiggle with her tail and excavate a trough in the gravel. And it has to be the gravel that's just the right size to allow the eggs to settle in amongst the crannies of the gravel and not just wash downstream and be lost. So she'll dig the red. Many males will be fighting for her affections. Uh, one male will tend to find her and kind of lay his body alongside of her or over the top of her. Will fight off other males who are trying to join in and mate with her. Then when the time is right, she'll signal by tapping one of her fins down into the, the red and then she'll release thousands of tiny eggs that immediately when they touch the water start swelling up with the water. The male then will release his sperm, which is called milt, over the top of the eggs. Then the female salmon will swim right nor upstream from where the red that she dug and start excavating a second trough to release bits of gravel and sand to flow down over the red and protect the eggs and cover them. At the same time, if there's other males in the vicinity, they will quickly come in and release their milt over the eggs, trying to get... The, the, some of the eggs to be their progeny rather than the salmon who was the, the mated pair of the two. So there's a lot of competition for uh, passing on the, the DNA of the next species and that's the process by which it's done. After the eggs are laying and the milt is spread over them, the female will continue to guard the red for a short period of time, but it's the end of life then for both of the male and the female salmon and they will pass on and their nutrients will provide food for the rest of the riparian river or creek ecosystem. We have five species of Pacific salmon. Pacific salmon range from the large Chinook salmon, the largest one that can weigh several hundred pounds, down to the smallest which are called pink salmon. And an interesting thing that can confuse people is that salmon have at least two common names. And I'll run through them because you probably heard some of these. The large Chinook salmon is also called the king salmon, say when you buy salmon at the fish market. 
Then we have the coho, which is also known as the silver salmon, the sockeye salmon, which is known as the red salmon because they get brilliant red. The salmon we're looking at now, the chum salmon, are also called the dog salmon because they have a, a little projection on their lower jaw that's like a tooth. And also the native people of the far north, Inuits, would um, feed this salmon to their uh, sled dogs. And then we have the pink salmon, also known as the humpy, because it's got quite an arch in its back. So five Pacific salmon species, and all named for kind of the blunt uh, hooked nose that they have as their body changes shape when it's time to head upstream in the fall. So they're known as Ankarinkas, which is Greek for, you know, bent snout. And they do have that. How many different kinds of salmon come up this stream? In this stream, we have just the chum and the coho. So those are the two that come up here, and they're fall-run salmon. The chum start a little after Halloween and will go through mid-December. The coho starts slightly later, around Thanksgiving, and will go through the month of December. We have some Chinook in our larger rivers, and they can run in spring, summer, or fall. And each salmon species has a different time of year when they move upriver to spawn, and at different periods in their lives. The chum salmon will remain at sea for three to five years before they come up. Other species of salmon will remain many more years out at sea before they make their way up to freshwater rivers. Wow, so these 100-pound salmon, do they even make it up these streams to their uh, place where they, they need to mate? Well, Chinook salmon further north of us migrate 2,000 miles up rivers, like the Yukon River. The Chinook are big and powerful salmon. The chum that we're looking at here are smaller sized. They're very fast swimmers, but they're not particularly good jumpers. So even small waterfalls might prove too high of an obstacle for them to leap over. So they tend to stay in the lower parts of the creeks like we are here at Piper's Creek. We're just a few hundred yards from Puget Sound. The coho silver salmon that also use this creek are better jumpers. So when they come to the creek, you can find them further up into the creek. The big salmon like the Chinook usually like bigger rivers or larger streams where they can maneuver into. So depends on the species of salmon. But our chum here are streams that are close to the salt water. And this is the time of year where you can see them and just revel in this marvelous life cycle that they have. What, how good are the odds that the salmon that come through here lay their eggs, that those eggs will become adult salmon? Well, the strategy for, you know, succession of the species is that to lay lots of eggs in hopes that a few salmon will make it through adulthood. Now with our chum salmon, the eggs will sit here in the stream for several weeks. I believe it's five weeks, six weeks for these guys. Then the eggs will hatch. The tiny baby fish are called alevin, and they have a little yolk sac attached to their body that they feed on, and they'll stay in the gravel of their red for several weeks to months. As the yolk sac is depleted, they become known as fry, a term that people have heard, fry. And then, then they become carnivorous. They'll start eating on zooplankton that are in the water, small insects or larvae, isopods that are on the, the floor of the creek. They continue to grow. Then they start to get some characteristic markings and they become known as a par with two R's, P-A-R-R. The par for the chum salmon actually leave that same summer for the Pacific Ocean. 
Other species of salmon will remain in the streams where they were born for even a couple of years before they head out to sea. But our chum head out the same season. When any species of salmon heads to the sea, they're known as smolt. So they are heading down, they turn a beautiful silvery color, and they'll stay out in the ocean for several years, feeding on other fish primarily, getting fat and strong. And then when their homing system tells them it's time to head back up, they'll head back up. Lots of dangers for salmon. I love to eat salmon, and I think every other creature in the wild loves to eat salmon. And they know when spawning season is for different species of salmon. So as the salmon make their way into the mouths, the estuaries of the stream of their birth, there are bears waiting for them, there are raccoons waiting for them, there are otters and minks and fishers. Everybody loves to eat salmon. So, you know, hopefully out of those hundreds of eggs that are laid, enough fish make it downstream to the ocean, survive their years in the ocean, and survive all the hazards of making their way back up stream to be able to spawn and release hundreds of more eggs. So hundreds of eggs for the, you know, the few salmon that can make it back up. They're really busy right now. I mean, they have to get upstream. (laughs) They have to hide from predators fight off other males. And they're Um, living solely on their fat stores that they put on when they were out in the ocean. So they're not eating at all. They're totally focused on uh, finding their stream of their birth, finding a mate, and reproducing for the next generation of salmon. So they're not eating at all. They're just living on what fat cells they have left in their bodies. It's all about reproduction and survival of the next generation of species, of the salmon species. They have a special structure, all fish do, on the sides of their bodies called a lateral line. Fish actually hear through their skin, believe it or not. Pretty amazing. And the the sensitive cells that hear sometimes can be overwhelmed by rushing water like we have in these creeks like this. So they concentrate those cells in what's called a lateral line, uh, a band that's kind of in a trough on the long side of their body that runs from their head down towards their tail. And those cells concentrated there can sort of screen out the white noise of waterfalls, riffles, splashes, rocks, and can hear things as quiet as an insect landing on the surface of the water or a fly fisherman casting his fly on the end of a line to the top of the water and come up to take a bite of that. So they, breathe, they hear through their skins and they concentrate those cells along the sides of their bodies to screen out superfluous sounds to make it a background white noise and then can sense and feed on insects that hit the water. Pretty amazing. Wow, so that trough that you see on the skin of those salmon, you know, in the in the stores, right, when you bring it home? Yes. That's kind of like their ear? That's like their ears, yes. Their ears are concentrated in special cells on the side of their body. In nature, everything is smarter than we think it is. And these fish have been doing this life cycle for tens of thousands of years since the last ice ages retreated probably 12,000 years ago. So you said that this gravel is the perfect size for their eggs, right? Mm-hmm. The yep. red. And could you describe this, this gravel setup? It, gravel or rocks have 
many different colors and shapes, quite pretty, that are basically anything from marble size up to, oh, the size, a small fist size, and then down into sand grains. So it's a beautiful spot for the female to release her hundreds of eggs, and they fall into the little crannies around the different sizes of the gravel and stay in there. And what you don't want, as you're a, a salmon, is to have all the eggs just rush down river well, they'll be eaten. So you want them to stay in the gravel where they'll be protected. You can't have a lot of silt or muck or mud in salmon streams, or they can't, they can't spawn and lay their eggs. So back when we had a lot of unrestrained logging in the mountains, all of the silt and sediment that came down from areas where the trees were cut would wash and over-silt the rivers and make them unsuitable for spawning. Another big obstruction are dams. Um, some dams have fish ladders to allow the fish to make their way up, but ones that don't have rivers have much more uh, reproduction of salmon. For example, the Fraser River has very few dams, and they have thousands of salmon every year that go up into B.C. for spawning, whereas the Columbia River has a whole series of dams, and it's much more difficult for the fish to make it up all of those obstacles. Okay, we have the female courting. Rubbing side by side, you can see the male's larger, and the female has that dark line along the side of her body, and they're losing a lot of their scales on their tails. Oh, they're just beautiful, Yuko, they're just beautiful. So we get to watch the whole courting thing happen right in front of us Yes, here. yes. The male comes up alongside the female's body, just like you saw there. They kind of move their bodies, their tails, in, in motion like synchronized swimmers. But this gravel's the perfect size. It doesn't have a lot of sediment in it. We've got a lot of vegetation along the shore, Piper's Creek, to keep the water temperature cool. This is just what salmon need. The female's going up under there. They are right next to one another. Bodies moving in unison. It's so graceful and so poignant when you think this is the end of their life. This is their last, their last gesture in their lives is to mate, lay their eggs, and then expire in the streams of their birth. I always feel so connected to nature and the rhythms of nature and the cycle of the earth when I watch the salmon in the fall. Really fortunate to have these streams where this kind of activity happens every year in the fall, just as it's getting dark, right? Right. You usually think of mating and things like that in the spring, and here it's getting dark and cold, and to see this is kind of hopeful. Yes, it is. It is. And it's the perfect conditions for the eggs for the next several weeks to stay in this cold, oxygen-rich water in the gravel reds, and uh, they will hatch in February and then the young alevin will stay here in the gravels and then this spring and summer they'll head out to sea. You know the dams on the Elwha were removed a few years ago. The Elwha River used to have incredible salmon runs and with the dams removed, guess what? The fish have come back. They're already moving up even though the habitat in the Elwha where the dams were hasn't completely recovered to a streamside habitat. As you know, all the vegetation was just a mud plain. But the salmon are coming back and they're using the Elwha again. 
So given half a chance, nature will find a way to survive. And so those salmon that are coming back had to have been imprinted with that that ecosystem. So they must have let fry out from there, or how how did that work? You know, it's kind of a mystery because the dams were up for many, many years, typically longer than the lifespan of a salmon. So how the salmon chose the Elwha River again after being blockaded for so many decades, it's a mystery to us. We don't know, but they found it, they're spawning in it, and for sure their young, their next generation will be imprinted on the Elwha and will return there. Oh, so they, they just showed up. They just showed up. The dams were there for decades, and so much longer than the lifespan of any individual salmon. So huh. they found the stream, and they're, they're coming back up. They just appeared, like magic. But, of course, you know, our indigenous peoples, our First Nations, say, no, it's not magic. The salmon know. They know. And they come back to the, to the stream. So it's powerful, powerful stuff, Yuko. Hmm. Wow. That was naturalist Ed Dominguez speaking with me at Seattle's Carkeek Park. You can watch salmon runs at a number of places in our region. Some of the locations to watch salmon spawn in the urban areas are at Cedar River Park near the Renton Community Center and along the Maple Valley Highway in Renton, also at Carkeek Park and the Ballard Locks in Seattle, and Salmon Run Nature Park in Issaquah. Local stories like this are made possible by listeners like you. You can listen to more of our local stories by visiting kbcs.fm, or you can subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you go to get them. 91.3 KBCS. This is Yuko Kodama.